will chant the verse of the robe. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Welcome again. I wanted to say just a, a few things, given that we have been engaged in these online uh, inquiries for a few months now. And we have uh, a number of people who have attended inquiry in person at Apamata uh, for years, really others who have engaged uh, the process during retreats, either in Austin or Madison or in the UK or one of the other settings in which we've had um, more intensive retreats. And so those folks are quite familiar with the kind of a form of teaching and the process that we, that we go through. I'm realizing there are also quite a few people who are new to this, relatively new, in fact, the online version is maybe the only thing that they've ever attended uh, in terms of the inquiry process. And so uh, a couple of things uh, are important to, to mention given uh, those realities. Um, the, the first is that there are a lot of people who are new and haven't um, walked into the Zendo um, and engaged in some of the forms and done some of the chants. So a few weeks ago, I used the um, repentance and confession chant as an entry point into teaching some things uh, that were relevant to our everyday life now. Uh, last week, I included the four practice principles. And I've gotten a lot of feedback from people from all over that said, this is very helpful because we're not familiar with these uh, chants. And um, it helps us understand what they're for and what they mean and what the teachings are. And so I'm going to continue that for the next couple of weeks. In fact, today we're going to focus on the verse of the robe, which we just chanted. And by the way, uh, once again, those, they're all on the Apamata website and you can download them so you can see and read them. And it's useful to say them out loud with me. Um, because through the repetition of three times each time, which is a classical way of doing it, and repeating it out loud, you, it begins to get in your body, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So that's one thing. We're going over things that might be repetitive for uh, older students um, and quite useful for newer students, um, because remember, beginner's mind is, is what we're asked to 
maintain as we continue to deepen our understanding and practice of, of these teachings. One second thing is if we've not, um, we've not been part of this for a while, or not engaged it uh, other than online, it's, and this is not an admonition, it's an encouragement. It's very easy to get involved in um, longer narratives or stories in the beginning. And sometimes it's useful or necessary to set up the question, but the immediacy of connection is what I'm encouraging because it does something different than a, a traditional kind of talking about something or even like what you might do with a therapist or counselor. And some of the things we, I don't want to discourage you in the least, but I do want to encourage you to, to really um, see how your question or what you want to express or even offer gratitude about is deepening your practice and connecting you with, with everyone else. Just some reminders, which I often include as we go along. So let's return uh, to the verse of the robe. Um, and by the way, if you do look on the Appamata website, there are annotations for each of the uh, chants, which give you a little bit of the context and a little bit of their meaning, just so you understand their use. Uh, for example, the verse of the robe is traditionally chanted as the monks begin their day in a monastery or, or a temple. Um, it's done most classically at the end of the morning zazen before you go to um, engage in the liturgy of service. So the monks would put on their robe and they, I and Peg and some others of us who have who've done this before, would place their robe on your head as you chant as a kind of a veneration. Um, but there's a larger, in a larger sense in which we're all taking up the robe of practice of this, this tradition or this way, which is going to unfold before us as this great mystery. And even as we unfold the robe and put it on, the okesa, it, you, you don't need to understand all the Japanese things. The okesa is the larger patchwork robe that you see in Asian uh, monastics. And we, we saw these as a, when we're um, ordained as priests in the, in the Zen tradition. But there's a smaller version called the rakusu, which is, looks like a bib-like thing. I'll show you in just a moment, uh, which is also used and also folded. In fact, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's also something that is uh, sewn. And even the process of sewing is a deep and profound practice. So there's a way in which this verse is inviting us in the very beginning, right in the beginning of practice. And it's why we do it in the beginning of inquiry. To remind us that true spiritual freedom is boundless, immeasurable, and profound. It's also a force field for the benefit of all that lives. It's the ground of unconditioned good. And we wrap ourselves in the teachings of the Buddha, a luminous expression of who we truly are. And in this way, 
we realize our intimate connection with all existence, an unbroken field of life, or what uh, the Tibetan teacher Langchimpa called the creative intelligence of the universe. True spiritual freedom is boundless, immeasurable and profound, not personal and merely helpful and consoling. It's boundless, immeasurable, and profound. And it sets up this field of energy which benefits the entire world, calling up our unconditional, the ground of our being, which is unconditioned good. And when we wrap ourselves in these teachings, which are of the Buddha, and Buddha is just a luminous expression of our own true nature, then we realize our intimate connection with everything and everyone. In the... Um, uh, in the traditional Japanese uh, temples that um, I trained in and Peg trained in and others, the, the verse is actually said in Japanese. Uh, the way I learned it, twice in Japanese, once in English, and the English translation is different than the one that we chant. And I'll say something about that in just a moment. Um, well, actually now in a way, the version that we chant at Apamata comes from uh, Joko Beck, and Ordinary Mind School. And it, the, the classical uh, translation, which I'll mention here, um, was taken and she, um, Joko and Alan um, Capro, who's a, a poet and performance artist, collaborated to develop this beautiful, poetic, uh, inspiring and accessible uh, version. Here's um, more what it looks like in a traditional way in the morning. So if you will um, allow me for a moment, uh, the, the rakasu is in a little uh, envelope and the monks will put it on their head. It seems a little strange maybe to some people. And then here's the Japanese. Do that twice. Then the English translation, great robe of liberation, field far beyond form and emptiness, wearing the Tathagata's teaching, saving all being. And because the Japanese is chanted in uh, that monosyllabic way, the English translation was taken and um, done in the same way not just repeated or said, but actually kind of chanted. Then the rakasu is put on, which is a patchwork of fabric, like the patchwork monks. That's a whole nother talk we can go into at another time. But here's, here's really what I'd like you to, to understand. And I'll tell you a little story. Some of you know uh, the biography of Suzuki Roshi was written by uh, a longtime early student, David Chadwick. And when David, about 1995, when he was doing interviews with Suzuki Roshi's original uh, students, one of them being Mel Weitzman, Sojin Mel Weitzman, who's now in his 90s and abbot at the Berkeley Zen Center, they were discussing these early memories. And uh, Mel said to, to David, about Suzuki Roshi, he said, just the way he stood up and sat down, his body language, 
was his greatest teaching. Also his uh, subtle way of teaching. At Sokoji, which was the original temple for the Japanese community in, in San Francisco before the Zen Center was formed for Americans. Mel said, we used to do the rogue chant in Japanese, what, like I just did for you. I, don't, I didn't even know what it was called then. So I went to him and said, what is the meaning of that chant that we do right after Zazen? And Suzuki Roshi said, I don't know. And Mel said he stood there and Katagiri Roshi, who was another young teacher from Japan and ultimately became a well-known teacher in the United States. I stood there and Katagiri Roshi was in the office with us. Katagiri was trying to think about it and he started looking through the drawers, looking for some kind of translation. And Suzuki Roshi gestured him not, not to do that. And then Mel says, Suzuki Roshi pointed to his heart and said, it, it's love. It's love. Even so, of course, we all have this tendency to follow Katagiri's impulse of that moment long ago and pursue the question, what does it mean? We all kind of, you know, look through our own series of drawers and to find something. And you might be surprised to think, well, all those syllables just can't mean love. So we study and interpret and translate and apply our understanding of the doctrine of the stories of our lineage and arise at phrases, uh, arrive at phrases that convey both the, both the subtle heart and the literal meaning. So let, let's, let's do some of that, remembering its deepest meaning. Vast is the robe of liberation. I often say, if you really take that line, first line on its own, vast is the robe of liberation. What is vast? Liberation. What do we think is vast? Suffering. But actually it's liberation that's vast. Suffering is common and it's shared, but it's not immeasurable and profound. Vast is the robe of liberation. In the traditional chant, that first line says, great robe of liberation. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Their profound goodness, their measurable gifts of this field of freedom isn't contained with any one form. When they say formless, it doesn't mean it doesn't have a form. It means it's not relegated to one form. It can take any form that's needed. This goodness that spiritual practice allows us to be flexible and responsive to meet what's needed. The traditional chant says field far beyond form and emptiness. So it's speaking to something that is non-dual, that's beyond a form, beyond emptiness. It's something, this inconceivable container in which is all arising and passing away each moment. A formless field of benefaction is so beautiful. It's a field that's flexible and open and 
fecund and, and willing to offer and receive all of life, the profound goodness and immeasurable gifts of our lives. Vast is the robe of liberation, which is this formless field of benefaction. Then the key, wearing the universal teaching. Wearing, we take it into our body. These are what the forms are for. So we can embody the teachings. What Mel was talking about, Suzuki Roshi, the way he just sat down and stood up, his subtle form of teaching. And wearing, allowing these teachings to penetrate deeply in our body, is very different than philosophy or theology, which we use language and concepts to try to contain and convey um, something uh, ineffable, which it's not that it's not useful, but it isn't the deep embodied learning, wearing the Tathagata's teachings, it says in the traditional, wearing the universal teaching, getting them deep in our body. Then the last line, last two lines, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, this formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teachings, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. As the teachings penetrate our body, our heart, our mind, our relationships, as the Dharma becomes manifest in our life, as our body, then we realize something true that our expression, our very life is that of the same of the Buddha, not an ancient person, but wakefulness is what's coming through us. And this harmonizes our sense of all being, not just all beings, plural, all being, thus harmonizing all being. The inseparability of all being is realized. Not the harmony of beings, but all being. I can remember watching my teacher Blanche uh, Hartman Zenke Roshi. The first time I watched her as she, when she was the uh, senior priest in the service in the Buddha Hall at San Francisco Zen Center, standing, making an incense offering, coming to the back of the bowing mat, taking her bowing cloth, and some of you haven't seen this before, but it's a beautiful thing that's draped over your arm. You don't see it in the sleeves putting it out on the bowing mat, doing her bows while we chanted the morning service. That day I could feel the energy flowing through her body toward the altar and up and out into the universe. I was mesmerized by what I was seeing about the way she, that she used her body the simple precision, the dignity and the ordinariness of it, her devotion to the robe and to the bowing cloth, the way she bowed. I'd never seen anything like it before. And that day I wanted to enter that place and allow that energy to flow through me. And that began my, my devotion to practice as well. And this is one of the really big differences between philosophy and religion, by the way. 
is the embodiment of devotion to something beyond self-devotion, honoring all relationships, being generous, humble, full of gratitude, ultimately offering, just like is enacted with the incense offering and the vows, offering is nothing but offering, which is the expression of love. So this is a little bit about the robe chant and you don't have to have one of these or even worry about these ancient things. They, um, they have meaning for those of us who have a devotional practice, but they're not required. What is required if you want to taste that the form of liberation which is being invited uh, and feel some sort of a devotion to something beyond yourself, then this practice will offer you that. And this chant, vast as the robe of liberation says, there's something vast, a formless field of benefaction which shows up everywhere. Wearing the universal teaching, if you engage the forms and the practices in your body, you can realize the one true nature that you are an expression of, and that will harmonize the way in which you move in life. So this is altogether a beautiful way for us to begin. And like I've done through these talks recently, I also want to connect it to what's happening in our everyday lives right now, since there's such a powerful and compelling um, concern moving through everything these days. And I'm going to, I'm going to make a point, which I hope doesn't disparage the, the chant. I'm going to, uh, this, this isn't a derivation of the chant, it's using the chant to inspire another piece of teaching. So so here's the question. If you want to wear something that is an expression of your vow to save all beings, if you want to wear something which is an embodiment of generosity, intimacy, and relationship with all beings, if you want to wear something which is a gesture of gratitude, and is a great selfless offering. Wear a mask. Allow the energy of love to flow through you toward all beings and out into the universe by the simple act of wearing a mask. You could make up your own chant, which is a vow. This is a really simple one just that just came to me. Great, simple mask of protection. A love far beyond mere wearing of a mask, expressing universal kindness and care, saving all beings. I know it's a little operational to switch to this, but I think it's important. If you want to wear something that expresses the vow to save all beings, which is an embodiment of generosity, intimacy, and relationship with all beings, as a gesture of gratitude and a great selfless offering, wear a mask. 
allow the energy of love to flow through you, the compassionate care for others. It goes toward all beings and out into the universe. This simple mask of protection, a love far beyond mere wearing of a mask, expressing universal kindness and care and saving all beings, quite literally, these days. So I hope that this um, little bit of history and explanation isn't just a reflection on a chant, but is a teaching that you, you understand um, our practice more deeply and more fully, and why we would engage such a chant, and even how it's, it can be uh, understood as something that invites uh, wholesome uh, actions in the contemporary world that will make a difference to all of us. So please, please raise your hand and uh, come forward with whatever questions or concerns you might have, things that we can, uh, can meet about. I, I welcome whatever you'd like to bring. Lizzie. Hello. I am so glad to see you. I know, I had to see you. I, um, I spent the morning out in the heat, so you know, I'm always hesitant to come on because you look so beautiful and I'm not dialed up at all, but I'm sweaty. But um, I love that you are doing the, um, you know, the basics. Like, it's so funny, right? Like last week and this week, although, you know, my heart feels really open uh, lately. And uh, I keep thinking, you know, vast is the robe of Apamata. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what just keeps coming, right? Like, my family, like you and Peg and Joel and Todd and Lori and Joan and, you know, and the names just go on, Robin and Judy and, you know, Stephanie. I want to think of all of them and you and Aaron and how I miss y'all. And so, you know, I've been, I've been feeling like though that I can see y'all because I can go to the YouTube and I've been listening to your mm -hmm. Know, listen to the talks that I miss and the same with Peg's Dharma talks and I just kind of feel like I wanted to say that fast is the robe of Apamata. I Thank mean you. like you and yeah. Peg start I just think of y'all as this big beautiful robe that holds us and then we go out and even though you know a lot of us are critical about oh I, I don't know what to do I'm not doing enough like if we can just go out and try to spread a little love, you know, I kind of have to sometimes just make it be very basic because sometimes there's so much to bite off. I don't know where to start. Yeah. So, so sometimes I just kind of feel like, well, okay, maybe I didn't do so good today, but maybe I did spread a little love somewhere. I think that's probably a nice vow to have. And if you, I like your word vast is the robe of apamata because if you translate apamata into what we usually use which you know vast is the the container of a mindful diligent care mm -hmm. and if you look i think on the screen the japanese symbol is there right yes i see that see okay see the roof yes so that's the protection and what's under it is the heart and mind oh wow yeah it's I protected from uh, that's apamata is, is a has a protective quality. 
okay. and, and takes care of us. I love it. And it's you can feel it. And you, when you call on the ancestors, which are really just your friends, all those who have helped you practice and, and those that you have helped by your practice, uh, you're providing that, that protection for everyone's heart and mind. Well, I especially love this, the part of the story where you said, where you said, what does that mean? And uh, he said, I don't know. And, you know, I love that, that, that it's okay to say, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think it's so, it's so freeing. Or like when you said, you don't need one of these little things. Like, and, you know, this is a, one of the things that just attracted me to y'all in the first place is, yes, there are forms. And yes, we work really hard to try to, you know, to be true to the form, to try to have some amount of devotion. But there's this other side where you are just like, hey, you are who you are and you're wonderful. And it helps us try to love ourselves more. And for me, that's the hardest thing to do is to love myself more. So what's funny is I was thinking about how is it at times where your heart is just open and you don't know why? You know, and I do think it sometimes is somewhat related to what am I putting in it, but sometimes mm -hmm. it just opens. I don't know why. And but there's the don't know again. Yeah. And that's but, why offering ourselves to the forms, to the practice, to each other, even though we don't know why or how. Right. That's really the basis of faith. Yeah. And something does happen. Mm -hmm. And that energy can flow, as I spoke about. And I wanted to enter that field, which you're saying, you know what it's like to enter that field of flow which becomes the formless field of benefaction. Mm -hmm. And I'm listening right now to my grandmother's hands. Mm -hmm. It is so interesting that talking about the, uh, the trauma that uh, the history of the traumas that we all hold, no matter our race, you know, or, or anything like that, the traumas that we hold. And it's been, it's been very interesting to, uh, to listen to. And by listening to it, it's like, on some kind of a strange level, it's like I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I, I have trauma. I have trauma too, and I didn't even know it started like way, you know, sometimes it's like when the trauma's too close, you can't figure it out because you're whatever in a spin about it. But when you take the trauma and you spread it back all over those mm -hmm. years before, it makes you feel like, yeah, we all have it. And then by acknowledging that, yeah, there's trauma in there, something feels like it kind of opens up like, Today I was thinking, oh, Flint's going to think this is weird, but I was like, my heart feels open, but my stomach does too, <laughs> which that sounds so strange, but no. because I think that, oh, maybe it means the body's opening a little. That's I'm where center. I took that question or whatever. No, your energy center is opening. Is that what the belly is? Yeah. And but one thing I want to just say thank you for is I know that sometimes you get nervous at clicking the little button and coming on. Oh, yeah. I don't want so, to. So thank you for your, that expression of devotion to just come forward and, and open yourself to us in this way, your yeah. heart, your belly, your mind, everything. Yeah. Well, thanks. It's nice to talk to you and it is frightening to press the button, but I didn't try to figure out what I might say, Good. just to kind of say hello. Um, and then could should I just say one more quick little yeah. thing? So when I see y'all, there's you're on the top and then whoever you're talking to is on the bottom. Is that, but I don't see, I don't see myself. Is that right? I know this is a technical question, but. Only when you're talking, you'll see yourself. But I'm up there. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, thank you so much for doing what you Take do. Take my love with you and say hi to Tommy. Okay. Bye. Say hi to Aaron. Oh, I don't leave. I just.
do I do anything? You just hang out. You'll be taken care of. Kim is doing a great job today. Hi, Jan. Hi. I've been tuning in pretty much each week. Yeah. Started this. And I've, I've, um, today, I don't know, I just felt called forward to come and speak. I've been watching everybody else step forward, noticing my reticence. Mm -hmm. And today something just moved that I felt today's the day. Mm -hmm. And what's here? Yeah. Uh, First you bring your body. Yeah. Which is the start, just like it is to the cushion. Yeah. You bring your body. Uh-huh. And I think, um, or I feel, when we, uh, at the beginning in the meditation, I've been doing this quite a number of years now. It's like 2012 since I started practicing with you. And today, as we moved into sitting, I just felt in my body something. I, I was home. I just felt slipped into a groove mm -hmm. the easiest way that I can describe it mm -hmm. um, that something shifted um, and it's not through getting more sophisticated it's actually by being simpler mm -hmm. and you recommended a few weeks ago um, the Norman Fisher book what is then mm -hmm. so I've been reading it ah. and I've been meditating on each of the bits that I read and there's a sense of going deeper. Good, good, good. I can feel it, mm. see it mm. because you're, I know you so well. I know that you're um, in some ways like me, you're very, um, you're a very active person. You make things happen. You're a good organizer. You're always there. You're making things happen. But what you're telling me now is, as in Dogen's words, you're taking a more profound backward step and letting yourself rest deeper into something, which is not the habitual way, but offers you something that is more vast, inconceivable, as Liz said, unknowable and yet realizable. I feel it in my body that something is palpably different. Right, right. Felt cloaked in this liberation. In this, right. this, um, and let that inform you instead of you trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. It's about feeling it. And I really feel that it will be helpful to, um, when I put my mask on and I go outside, to feel that I'm enacting that. You know, that's, that's part of my suggestion as well as an encouragement to wear masks but to take it as a you don't have to make it anything special or fancy in one way but make it a sacred act i'm putting this on 
to save all beings. I think it's lovely. Yeah. Uh -huh. that's our, because, that's our... because there is some reality in that. Absolutely. And yet, because you have this practice and because you make this, this offering through this chant of devotion, uh, just use it as a mindful activity, just like a bow or sitting, you just look up into my mask and like, okay, that's my bow. Yeah. It's just part of our response to all types of the form. Mm -hmm. Noticing what's that uh, resistance. And I, I think there has been some resistance about the mask. It's not comfortable. Right. I noticed right. my resistance to it. And um, our snakes in the bamboo tube, like I said last time, yeah. we feel the squirminess. Yeah. yeah. But if we have a vow to express our own nature as a Buddha and thereby support and care for all being, then that's an enactment, a skillful means to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel thank that you. has shifted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And thank you for I, expressing I, this in this way. And um, I loved hearing Liz's, uh, who just was on, um, her words of um, the, the Appamada, mm -hmm. the, the, the cloak and mm -hmm. uh, the extent of Appamada. I feel, I feel part of it in a way that I have never felt mm -hmm. part of that bigger family since you have been doing this on a Tuesday. Mm -hmm. It's now a part of my week. Yes. And nourishment that helps me to mm -hmm. do the work. Yes. Do. Well, the, you know, in the image I was talking about that you can see the roof. Yeah. It's actually the great mm -hmm. sky mm -hmm. that covers all the way across the ocean. Mm -hmm. This this row goes all the way to the UK where you are. Yeah. Feel it. And the entire universe. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So there's something beautiful that has come out of this this trauma, this difficulty that I'm really grateful for. Yeah, that this piece is a good one that we can yeah. connect in these ways and, and suddenly become one more of one family than we had felt before. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jan. I'm glad we got to comment on the symbol, which is over the altar at Appamata in Austin, which some of you may not have known what that, that was. The symbol of, um, of Appamata. Hello, Georgia. Hi. <laughs> I see you have your, your new business name on there now. I do have it on there, don't I? <laughs> um, so thank you, as Jan and, and Liz both expressed, um, thank you so much for doing this. And I'm today, yesterday in particular, I'm feeling the benefit um, of this regular calming mm. um, practice. It's, um, and to, my question right now is, with generosity mm -hmm. and i had um i had an experience with my partner as we're discussing perhaps combining households and how to do it and what to pay what to not pay that kind of thing i had made a suggestion and he responded um 
with the suggestion that um, that perhaps he not pay anything if he moves into my home because I already have these costs anyway and that he, he thinks of, um, you know, and that there will be other costs that he will bear and, and share and that his notion is just to be generous and to not profit off of another, which um, by contrast meant that I was being ungenerous and was looking to profit. And, and I, I took all of that in. And, um, you know, we discussed it and have discussed it some more. And the um, first I was able to forgive myself for asking for what I thought was right, correct, fair, whatever. And yet I'm still struggling with the idea of what is generosity mm -hmm. and how do we live in a world where, um, I guess I still feel like I need protection. Um, and well, I, know, I know I'm, what's coming up in me is something that's a little to the side, but it speaks to the, what the feelings that are coming up. And tell me if I'm off because I'm making a leap here because I know you. Whatever you decide about the money, whatever you decide about balancing household responsibilities, one of the ways you might ask him if he's willing to be generous to you is to understand how powerful the pattern is in you of having to always be the one who takes care of everyone. even if you do, but for that to be understood, that pattern, the unconscious expectation, that no matter what happened, you would pull the weight. I think he needs to understand the pattern. That would be a generosity to you for him to understand it at least, no matter what the outcome. Does that make sense? It does, it does, um, yeah. Um, and and yet I you know I I go beyond. Why can I not just um, give freely? And what does giving freely and being generous mean in an interpersonal relationship or in the world? Um, That's a big big question. You think I know the answer to that? <laughs> it's what you're doing is the essence of generosity, which is offering yourself fully to this person and inviting him to offer himself fully to you so that you can find out what generosity is. Not so there's not some um, model of it hidden over here that you're going to try to find and then map onto. There isn't. But the depth to which you're asking these questions, the place it goes into your heart, into your body, how it mixes with your patterns of the past, all of us, you two are going to find out what generosity means. There's not a specific right way that you're missing, Georgia. 
Because when this conversation comes up, you'll find your areas of stinginess, you'll find your areas of generosity, you'll find the ways that you um, protect and rescue other people, you'll find the ways that you feel resentful, all of it will come up. And what's most generous is for the two of you to let all of those parts speak without coming to a conclusion too quickly. Because then you start hardening into positions. And the most generous thing is to keep saying, oh, this part of me wants to speak. This part of me wants to speak. Ask him. This, instead of saying, I'm this way and you're that's too small. Open up. This is not common. Makes that makes sense. The generosity is in the willingness and the hanging in there and the steady devotion to each other. And you may make a choice about how to do something and say, let's do it this way for a while and see how it goes. Let's learn. But in the everyday practical world, there's concern for each other, reciprocity, balance in these things, you know, practicality, we all know that. But they have meaning beyond that. So the measure of a relationship is how those things um, play out over time. Say there's one person, this is just an example, that makes uh, X amount of money and the other person makes maybe a smaller amount. But right. the request is, can you each give 100% of whatever your part is? Not a dollar amount. Not equal amounts. And am I offering my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole body, my whole self to the relationship? Doesn't matter what the amount is. That's right. the deeper place. So these are just, I know these are things that you think of, but I just want to encourage you to not go too fast either thinking there's a right way and that you're certainly doing it wrong and that you're too small on the one ditch or you got to take care of everything, which is the other ditch. Right. And keep inviting him in because that's going to uh, provide an opportunity for more intimacy. There's the generosity. Okay. Yeah. And then this is recorded, so you can always uh, have him listen to it if you want. Good. <laughs> and it'll give you, make a bigger mess, maybe. Something. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Hi Bobble, back there. Yep, he's here. Yep. <laughs> Bye-bye. Hello, Judith. Hello. You're muted still. Somehow it just went back on. You're muting. There you go. There you go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> okay. I was deeply moved by what you said about the mask. I want to thank you for making it so much easier to wear a mask. I've been wearing it, mm -hmm. but now it'll feel different. Well, we're in, and you know this well, because you're a person who's done very, very traditional practice. Mm -hmm. We're in a long session, a, a long intensive long retreat. <laughs> yeah. And we're doing things that are uncomfortable. 
And the benefit isn't by being masochistic and doing something uncomfortable. We're doing it for the benefit of all beings, bodhisattva bow. And so if we can frame it that way and realize that's what we're doing, um, instead of being self-centered, being selfless Mm -hmm. in that, then we're willing to put up with a bit, you know? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, It made me remember um, why I was drawn to Zen in the first place. And it was the utter, utter practicality of it. What stuck with me immediately was, <laughs> have you had breakfast? Wash your bowl. <laughs> I thought. Right. And this brings it to that level, um, really, everything, everything about this is sacred. That's right. That's right. So thank Treating you. everything as if it's on the altar. Treating yes. everything like you do the bowing cloth. I've told this story before, but it's apropos right now, very quickly. One of our uh, lay teachers in Austin, uh, Todd Bankler, is um, he, he's, he works in high tech and high level management and production kind of stuff. And one of the retreats, his job was to take care of the altar during the whole long week long retreat to keep it clean, get the ash cleaned up, the, the incense, flowers and all that. And he was training someone else to do it in that retreat. I think it was Liz, actually. And he said in practice discussion after the retreat, he said, I went to work the next week and came in and did my usual things and pulled my laptop out of my bag and put it in the dock on my desk. And suddenly I realized I did it with my body the same way I would put things on the altar. And he realized oh, that's the reason for the practice. To treat everything and everyone that way. Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. Might have time to meet one more person. Hello. Hi. Hi, Flint. Hi there. So um, I'll try and make this quick. So um, as I recall, last week was about staying. And it's very difficult for me, which is why um, meditating has taken me so long to get to it. And of course, the pandemic has helped me tremendously to slow down. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was thinking about it. And for me, I've always a lot of projects, always very, you know, busy, busy. uh, Yeah. And I, for me, it's, it's, well, this proves that I'm worthy. That's what I got to. And I thought, okay. And I'm also creating this garden, right? So then I'm thinking, okay, this, um, a wildflower, right? They don't uproot themselves and go looking for the water and the sun. They That's just right. stay. <laughs> That's my offering. <laughs> and they receive what comes. Yes. And you use it. And if it doesn't, wonderful story and wonderful teaching. Thank you. Thank you. They also don't try, the, the, the little periwinkle doesn't try to be a geranium. 
It lets itself be what it is. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I think we only have just a minute maybe, so it's probably not wise to... Oh, Chris, good. Come on, Chris. Here she comes. I didn't ask to come on. Oh, you didn't? No, I don't oh. know what happened. I don't either. There's just a big C there. I don't even see you. Okay. <laughs> no problem. <clears throat> Let's um, together chant the four practice principles uh, to complete our time together. And then uh, um, Kim might have a final word. Thank you once again for your wholehearted participation and for your expression of uh, embodied practice today. It's been beautiful. So together, uh, let's say it out loud. <clears throat> Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. I will look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you, Kim. Yeah, I want to thank everyone for uh, coming. We appreciate this so much, what Flint does and what Appamata does. And I want you to um, know that you can make a contribution by going to the Appamata website and then going to contribute. And you can contribute either to Peg or any of the other teachers or to Appamata itself through that website. So please um, take a look. And also Flint talked about on the website our incredible number of teachings and links to lots of talks as well as on YouTube. So thank you very much, bye.